Always tell you, love my Boyer's Coffee. Have it religiously every day. Have it delivered to my house because I'm a K-Cup guy, and it's just easier to get it done that way. You order online at boyerscoffee.com, and voila, within 48 hours, it is right at your door. And they have so many great flavors right now. They always have new flavors going on. Go to boyerscoffee.com and uh, check out those new flavors and have their wonderful product delivered right to your house. As I always say, for the holidays, you can go shopping on there and maybe surprise some people uh, as well with Boyer's Coffee Under the Tree. How about that? Boyer's Coffee Under the Tree. Boyer'sCoffee.com. Get it next time you are in the store or have it delivered as I do to your home. Steel products, steel power tools, they are the best in the business. They're used by amateurs like me and you. They're used by professionals all over the country, all over the world. Go to FTIHLSteelDealers.com to find the nearest dealer in your area. There are more than 10,000 around the country. Or STIHLSteelUSA.com. Take your time and peruse through that website, and uh, you are going to be, as I like to say, blown away, figuratively and literally, by all the different products they have that can help you keep your lawn, keep your plants, keep your forest, if you have one, in wonderful condition. Mowers, blowers, trimmers, chainsaws, and I love battery-powered Products Love their battery-powered products. That's what I have. It's just simple. It's powerful. Um, and all of their products from the battery side, made in America. It's steel, S-T-I-H-L. Hey, give a steel product for Christmas or for Hanukkah. You'll be glad you did. S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, steelusa.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, some of Drew's best conversations from 2022, including former Rocky and now current Pirate Connor Joe, Rocky Special Assistant Clint Hurdle, pitcher Kyle Freeland, and Dave Logan. Also, Drew catches you up on some of the crazy stuff in baseball this week. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. And a big welcome in again, everybody. It's show number 182, a few days before Christmas, or maybe you're taking this in on uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Merry, Merry Christmas to all of you out there. Happy Hanukkah as well. I just got back late, late, late last night uh, from a wonderful 10 days in Europe, was in Prague. London and Paris, and such a wonderful time. It's always great to be over there, but such a wonderful time of year because it's very festive and very colorful, and it was very cold, too. I know we're going through a cold spell uh, back in the Rocky Mountains right now, but it, it was really cold, so you had to bundle up and put a lot of miles in walking around those three uh, wonderful cities. No London and Paris pretty well. Had never been to Prague. Prague is Gorgeous. If, if you ever have an opportunity, uh, get there. Great people, great history, um, great places to eat naturally, wonderful uh, places to sip coffee and a drink. So uh, it was uh, it was awesome, man. Had, had a great time. Got to uh, send some pictures back uh, this way uh, as well. So I enjoyed that. 
couple of happenings in baseball. One local we'll get to momentarily, but the biggest news, and this came uh, when I got back to town in the middle of the night, literally in the middle of the night, Carlos Correa goes to the Mets, and he had been in agreement with the Giants on a contract. And as you're well aware of right now, the Giants didn't like certain things on the um, medical or, or the results of the um, medical uh, reports, the physical that all players go through before they sign a contract in any sport. And apparently they wanted to, to renegotiate. Well, Scott Boris you know, said, okay, we're here, but we're also now opening up um, the phone lines as well. The Mets under Steve Cohen were rumored to be involved prior to an agreement being done between the Giants and Correa a little more than a week ago. They swooped in 12 years, reported $315 million, and now the Mets, who continue to spend under the wealthiest owner in baseball, have Carlos Correa, who will play evidently third, and uh, Francisco Lindor will continue it short. Across the way, you have uh, the polar bear and Pete Alonso at first. So they're going to put together or, or put out quite a formidable lineup in New York. And the question I think that, that so many in sports in particular, particularly in baseball, are wondering, you know, is this good for a game when you have a, an owner who has such deep pockets? Well, let's understand one thing. Virtually every owner now in sports has deep pockets. Now, are Cohen's deeper than everyone else? We just stated that. Evidently, according to Forbes, he's the wealthiest owner in baseball. He's one of the wealthiest owners in all of sport. And baseball is unique in the North American sphere of sports in that there is no salary cap. And it ain't coming around the block either for those of you that feel like, man, my team's got no chance. The Mets will just outspend him. So, again, back to the question, is it good for baseball? Let me answer it this way. I don't think it's bad for baseball. They have operated for years and years and years. They have such a strong union without a salary cap. Now, there are limits, artificial limits put in because of heavier taxes. Steve Cohen doesn't care. He is going to blow through all of those. I think he's going to, uh, I think he'll spend an extra $100 million or, or in that neighborhood on being taxed for his payroll being as high as it is. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. And you know what it guarantees the Mets? It guarantees them this. All eyes will be upon them. Once again, they had a formidable roster last year. In all likelihood, they're going to be good. But beyond that, it does not guarantee them th- guarantee them uh, a championship. We know that. We know that watching baseball. The unique thing, or one of the many unique things about baseball is one man or even a couple of guys can't turn the tide completely in your favor. It can make you compelling. It can make you on paper. We love that phrase, right? Really good. But it does not guarantee you a championship. They could be the odds-on favorite in Vegas for whatever that's worth. But one or two players doesn't do it in baseball. We know, as great as Mike Trout is, he ain't won a damn thing with the Angels because he only comes up four times a game. 
It's not football, as I like to say, where if you get an elite quarterback and put some pieces around him, the ball's always in his hands. In basketball, if you have a great player and can augment that great player with another great player or a couple other really good ones, you got a chance. Got a chance to be really good because the ball is in their hands frequently. And you can put the ball in their hands when the game is on the line. Can't do that in baseball. If it's not Justin Verlander or Matt Scherzer's day to throw, they're a spectator. If Carlos Correa enjoys a wonderful first year with the Mets, and he has a history of playing really well for the Astros and last year for the Twins, but he's not up in the ninth inning with the Mets down 3-2, to two, all he's doing is spectating. It's different. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. It makes baseball interesting in the month of December that we're talking about Aaron Judge back with the Yankees. Carlos Correa looked like he'll be a giant. No, oh my God, he's he's a New York Met. Dansby Swanson, the latest iconic brave to leave as he goes to the Cubs. Good signing for the Cubs. Guess what? The Braves will probably still be there. It's about farm system, it's about depth, it's about chemistry, it's about new names emerging, not just becoming overly infatuated with the names we know of guys that have already established themselves as stars. Next December, when we're having this conversation, we'll talk about some young players that did establish themselves and help their team win and maybe help their team win at a level that put them deep into the postseason. So these signings of Verlander and the shocker of Correa going to the Mets, it's interesting. It's great for talk shows and podcasts. And it's great if you're a Mets fan, certainly, but it doesn't guarantee him anything. But I think it's good for the sport. It's really good for the sport. And also, you can look at the other side and say, well, oh, man, it's not fair. that they just, they just outspend, you know, I, I root for a team in a smaller market, smaller revenue stream. Yeah, that's virtually everyone else. But see the Tampa Bay Rays, as we talk about every year, because every year they win 90, 95 games, and they're in the thick of things. They've got a shot. The Oakland A's down this year, but you know, over the last uh, bunch of years, they were a small market team, small revenue team, I prefer that phrase, that did well. And there's a number of middle-of-the-road teams financially, payroll-wise, that historically, traditionally do well. Cardinals, certainly one of those teams. Yes, the more you spend the greater chance you have, as long as it's wisely spent and those players that you spend money on are actually on the field performing, you have a better chance at at, uh, at success. Do I think the Mets have a much better chance at, at winning 95-plus games or 100-plus games in the Colorado Rockies? Obviously. No question. But now it's up to teams like the Rockies to have young players emerge, augment them with some veteran guys, And hopefully you can put together a roster that has the chemistry to win more often than they lose as they did in 17 and 18. That's the challenge for most teams. And uh, for the one team that we follow most closely, the Rockies, absolutely that has to be their blueprint. 
They're never going to be, nor are most every other team in baseball, they're never going to spend as Steinbrenner spent with the Yankees years ago, as the Dodgers have spent over the last decade plus, as the Mets are now spending under Steve Cohen. But I fall back on what I said earlier. It doesn't guarantee anything. Makes things interesting, though. So that's a good thing. We're talking baseball. And we're talking about, man, that lineup. Look at it. And I'll be excited when the uh, Rockies roll into Queens and play the Mets. And when the Mets come out here, not only because it's the team of my youth, the team my late father followed his whole life once the Giants moved west. The Mets are going to be compelling, man. You're going to watch, you know, Lindor and Correa and then Alonso, Brandon Nimmo stayed uh, in New York. It's going to be a fun team to watch. It's going to be fun when the Rockies play them. And, and maybe it'll have a little greater meaning if the Rockies can have success against them. On the Rockies note, I alluded to earlier, a fan favorite is now going to be a Pittsburgh Pirate, Connor Joe, who spent a couple of years in a Rockies uniform, reestablished himself, or really, I shouldn't say reestablished himself, because he had been a first-round pick, but never established himself as a bona fide major league player. He started opening day for the Giants several years ago, and then, of course, he had the um, he had to endure and ultimately have a victory against cancer, which is more important than anything else, as he beat testicular cancer. And we got to know Connor Joe, and he had success in a Rockies uniform, high on base percentage guy. Still to this day, uh, over the last couple of years, he puts together uh, day in and day out the best at bat. For the Rockies, but I want to say he fell out of favor, but he lost considerable playing time in the second half, wasn't getting as many hits. Ultimately, um, he was watching others play. And now, with guys like Zach Veen not too far away, Brenton Doyle not too far away, the Rockies, though they still would like to have a, a stopgap in center field, have. Um, an abundance of outfielders that, that need to play because Daza still in the mix. There's at least another year um, for the Rockies with Gritchick. So, and Charlie Blackman, another year as well. And so they felt like they'd be best suited to try to get something for Connor Joe. They got uh, an arm I'm familiar with. He pitched at Chapman University. Uh, my boys played Division Three um, baseball and uh, – Chapman is a Division Three power. This is a young man that was a third baseman with a big arm, uh, uh, ultimately gets drafted in the third round. Uh, I think the Rockies, like all teams, can never have enough pitching, can never have enough pitching prospects. So I thought it was an intriguing move because Connor Joe was kind of blocked now in Denver. He was blocked, as I said, in the second half. But I did want to make mention of, of Connor Joe because – I think there are some players, and I have said this in the past, that you can get a feel for who they are, the genuineness of their personality, the likability of their person, just through the television screen, through our narration of bringing you Rockies baseball on a nightly basis, where maybe you're hearing about it on the radio uh, with Jack and Jerry just like Carlos Gonzalez, like, like many Rockies. Connor Joe's a special dude, great dude. And I would be saying that even if he didn't have the triumphant story of overcoming testicular cancer. This is just a 
good human, fun to be around, smart, interesting, inquisitive, hardworking guy that you root for. And that's why anytime he came up, he got the Joe chance. And as Spilly so happily said, greatest Rocky of all time every time he would do something remarkable on the field. So I wish him the best, as I know you do. I hope he has a great run in Pittsburgh, gets to play every day, and um, continues what he started in Colorado. Signing day, college football signing day, the first of two, but this is kind of the major one, has come and gone. Colorado, great inroads with their new coaching staff, led, of course, by Deion Sanders. Looks like Colorado State has put together a, a very worthy class on paper you never know until they coach them up and they play out on the field and how many you retain and all the things that um, are not as sexy as look at this name look at this four star that signed with your favorite uh, school Uh, Dion has made waves Dion makes waves wherever he has been first as a player then in baseball then in both with football and baseball um the terrific job in in three years at Jackson State. We were talking about Jackson State on an almost weekly basis, and now in Boulder. And it'll be fascinating, and I don't throw that word around in a cavalier fashion, to see how it all plays out. How quickly can he turn a team that was awful into a respectable team first, and then hopefully a good to very good team The expectations are high because talent, well-coached talent, wins. And he's going to bring in talent. And I read somewhere where where he was looking at this first class as a 40-40-20 proposition. 40% of the the kids he wants to bring in um, had already played college football for four years and and graduated. So they're they're grad transfers. 40% in the middle of their college career transfers. So he wants some older dudes. That's 80%, he was saying, in a perfect world. And then 20% of high school guys because he doesn't want to wait around for development. And I understand that. And then in future classes, maybe you can be more heavily weighted toward toward high school. Transfer portal's huge now. We know that. And it'll be fascinating, as I said, to watch how it plays out on the field in the first year or two. Because if you don't win... We know how negative our society can go so quickly, especially when it pertains to sport and social media. And he's the king of social media, whether it's uh, telling you his uh, his new favorite restaurants around Denver or giving reviews of his favorite breakfast spots. It's all cute. It's all clever. Um, he seems to be ubiquitous. And that all works right now in the honeymoon phase. But as we know in sports, if you're two and seven, Uh, The cuteness, the cleverness, the social media impact uh, becomes, what have you done for me lately? And look no further, different personality, certainly, and and not the the history uh, of on-field success that Deion Sanders had. I mean, he's he's a Hall of Fame athlete. Uh, But Nathaniel Hackett, everybody, you know, raves about Nathaniel Hackett. What a good guy, Um, trying to change how things are done in practice, players coach. That's all wonderful in the lead up to a season. But then all of a sudden you win only three out of your first 13 games and they want to run you out of town. So again, all all of the 
beauty right now of Deion Sanders and the appeal of Deion Sanders is super sexy. Until you play a bunch of games and don't win enough, then all of a sudden the tide can turn in a hurry and things are not, as I said, cute and clever and people get over it quickly. Hope that doesn't happen. I hope he can flip the script in Boulder, uh, you know, literally overnight. And I think he has a chance to do that. But uh, it's been uh, it's been interesting watching, you know, from afar over these last few weeks and and how he handles himself and, and how he handles social media and the attention that Colorado's getting, not just um, reawakened buff fans who've been just traumatized by how bad things have been over the last uh, couple of decades, but nationally and so much attention on Colorado, which is a good thing. Now let's hopefully uh, see that continue uh, next fall with victories on the football field. As we've uh, been doing, we're looking back on 2022, kind of our best of. We had so many uh, fun conversations during uh, the season, and we thought we'd compile a few of those and uh, and do our best of 2022 here on the podcast. So uh, sit back, continue to enjoy, tell your friends about what we do, and um, here's a compilation more from 2022. Up first, Connor Joe. It's normally the process in this where I ask the questions and you as the subject respond, but you wanted to ask me a question. I did. Drew, thanks for having me on your podcast. What's your goal in in this podcast and talking to different people? Great question. As I spit seeds, by the way, which is not a you know I can't do that on the air. So you ask me different things I can do on the podcast that I can't do upstairs. I can't spit seeds on the air. I can on occasion say that was bullshit. You know, I you, I don't go overboard in colorful language, but I am from New York, and half of my vocabulary growing up involved colorful language that's not why though to answer your question authentically i really enjoy more long-form interviews which i go back to larry king do you remember larry king when he was alive i thought when when you got involved with an interesting subject i thought you know that's pretty cool stuff and that's probably the most enjoyable aspect of it and it's a challenge because i do it once a week you were on with me last year so does that suffice as an answer? Yeah, it does. I think podcasting, too, is like a really great format because it's more laid back than an interview. Um, I think as long as, for me, while I'm doing podcasts, I feel more uh, it's a personal connection, conversation rather than an interview. Right. And, and, and so I'm glad you, you take it that way. It's interesting because one of your buddies, and I didn't know you guys were buddies, and I've gotten to know him a little bit, you know, on the, on the periphery over the years, but I find him to be a really good dude, and that's Bryce Harper. And I didn't know until yesterday. Bryce and I were shooting the shit, and um, and I, you know, toward the end, I said, "Hey, man, you can say no." I said, "I do this thing. Do you want?" He goes, "I really don't really like doing podcasts." That's no problem. I don't. I, I, the last thing I wanted to do is make somebody feel like just because we have a little bit of a relationship now, I got to do it. But I didn't realize that you and Bryce played together in San Diego. What was that experience like? We did, yeah. Bryce and I go back um, to when we were 10. We played together 10 to 16 years old. Um, he's an awesome kid. I think he's um, sometimes misunderstood. Um, but, yeah, going back to when we were kids, 
he would come in. He was from Vegas, so he would come in for the the weekend, like practice with us a couple times before a big tournament. And then, um, you know, we were a really good team. So having Bryce and playing with him, we all knew he was going to be special um, when he was 10 years old. He was just the guy, um, hard worker back then. I, he's still a hard worker. So um, unbelievable person. He's got a great family. Um, got to know them really well, his dad, Ron, his mother. Um, they're awesome people. When was your confidence, if ever, shaken the most in this game? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, I'd probably have to say 2019, right? <clears throat> Made it to the big leagues, got Rule 5 that year in camp for the first time on the roster, like feeling good about it, right, in, with the Reds. Got traded to the Giants. Had a good feeling I was going to make the team because of the, the situation and the circumstances. And then, then, you know, I went one for 16. Um, got DFA'd. And then I go back to AAA. And it's like, I know I'm a good hitter. I know I'm a good player. But my only sample size in the big leagues is one for 16. Can I do it in the big leagues? Do my skills transfer? Are they? Do they play in the big leagues? I think that was the biggest hit to my confidence and the most um, self-doubt I've, I've dealt with in my career. Last year was, in many ways, a coming out, I'll say party, because that's how the phrase goes, party for you, and it's continued this year. You had a great spring on top of it. I said this on the air the other day, as great a story as you have, beyond what you went through from a health scare standpoint you were a first round pick for a reason it's not like you fell off a turnip truck and they go wow this dude can really hit and he was a 28th round pick anybody who gets picked we know is a wonderful player you were a first round pick do you remind yourself of that sometimes you know what um i don't often think about that i don't i take great pride in it right like it's a great accomplishment um in that specific moment in my life um I don't remind myself of it. To answer your question, like, honestly, I don't. Um, and maybe I should, but, um, yeah, I build my confidence off, you know, where I'm at right now, where my feet are now, um, and how I'm performing now, I guess. I'm trying to remember how you articulated to me in spring training. We were just, you know, shooting the shit behind the cage at one point, and I, and I said something along the lines of, do you feel like, I don't know, you belong or you arrived. And do you remember what you said exactly? Um, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I know how I feel about that. And it, hopefully it's similar um, still today. But um, I don't know if I feel like I've arrived or I'm an established player, but my confidence is in myself that I belong. I'm a big league player, so I will say that. That's exactly more or less what you said. You said, you know, I'm, I'm not yeah. – I think that's the humility in you. And again, you haven't been here that long, but you know you belong. Was there a point in time, was there an at-bat, a game, maybe a series of games a year ago where you go, hey, I'm in the right league and I can thrive here? Yeah, I think it was really when I had that opportunity second half of the year. Um, you know, it was unfortunate circumstances with uh, Rymel going down with an injury. Um, and I was in there, you know, every day for a good amount of time and playing well, producing, helping the team. Um, the team was playing really well then too. So I think that stretch of consistency um, gave me confidence to, to know that, yeah, I belong here in the big leagues. Two-part question. One, 
the defensive part, do you care where you play? And the second part of that is, at any point in your career, did you hit leadoff on a regular basis? Uh, to answer the first question, I don't mind uh, anywhere I'm playing. Um, I, I look to see what position I'm playing, and that kind of sets my routine for the day where I'm going to take my reps in defense and batting practice, and, you know, that's that. It's it's a very easy transition for me um, to go from the infield to the outfield. I mean, even mid-game, it's been done before, so I'm comfortable doing that. Um, and then the second part of your question is, yes, I have. In AAA 2018 and 19, um, when I was with the OKC Dodgers, they Travis Barbary, the manager there, had me bat leadoff. If you were not playing baseball, and this is this is the uh, you know elementary type question, if you were not playing baseball, what would you be doing? Oof, that's such a tough question. I don't spend much time thinking about it. Um, I, I studied finance in college, more so because math was an interest to me. But I'm not sure if finance really did it for me. Um, uh, like I said, I really you know like being physical. I like being outside. Um, and I could see myself being a firefighter, honestly. Yeah, yeah, using my body, um, helping other people. I think it'd be really cool. It's time for that down the road. You got another, you know, dozen years though in the game. Yeah, I hope the Rockies can be a playoff team because fill in the blank because of camaraderie and the chemistry in the clubhouse. Um, everyone has each other's back. Everyone is truly pulling for each other, um, no matter who's in the lineup that day. Um, I think we know our roles. Uh, we know how we can impact the game that night. And everyone's ready at the, any given moment. Um, and that all starts with chemistry and, and the clubhouse. You're in the happiest place you've been as a uh, baseball player? No doubt in my mind, 100%. And yeah. you are the greatest Rocky ever. <laughs> Thank you, Drew. I'm not sure about that, but I appreciate you saying that. Former Rocky and current Pittsburgh Pirate, Connor Joe. Up next, left-hander Cal Freeland talking about a memorable day when he took on the New York Mets and also his optimism for the Rockies farm system. How weird, or I don't know if that's the right term, was it for you at City Field where you look across and, and you knew for a couple of days you're going to match up with a guy who's a, who's a close friend. He's in your wedding, you're in his wedding, grew up together in Colorado. For, for us, I know it was a neat story. David Peterson and the 26-year-old will be making his 16th start of the but year. But for you, competing against him, was it different or once you walked out there, it's like I'm trying to get Mets out? Um you know, I, I, it was it was one of those games where you know I I, I had some butterflies going. You know, it's just, it's a special game for both of us. It's the first time we've been able to go against each other head to head at the big league level in, in our entire career. So you know, it's it, it's exciting. Um, but you know, when we when we saw each other out in the outfield, uh, when we were stretching, we gave each other quick hug, quick good luck. Um, but you know, that that was it. Cause, uh, you know, we were both we were both focused at that time, and but, but we wanted to wish each other luck. Um, but we knew we had a job to do. We had, uh, and we were looking to win a win a baseball game for our team. Um, but being able to you know go out there every single inning and you know try to match him and him match me, it, it was it was truly a blessing to be able to do that and, and to be able to call him one of my best friends and uh, and know the kind of guy that he is, the kind of family man that he is, the father that he is. It's just it's awesome to be able to be a part of that and, and be able to share a game like that with him. How disturbed are you at how this season's unfolded as a club? Because 
you're an individual competitor, but it's team sport, and and the Rockies clearly not where they want to be. Yeah, um, definitely wasn't. I don't think any of us kind of expected to be where we're at uh, right now when we started this season. Uh, you know, the big, big knife to the gut was, you know, KB not being able to, to play consistently through this season. Um, you know, is it, moving forward next year and years prior, you know, he's, he's going to be a big piece that we're going to lean on, um, you know, because we expect him to be a staple in our lineup uh, as a consistent basis. Um but we also know, you know, when a guy goes down, you know, slack has to be picked up. Um, and I don't think we've done a very good job of picking up the slack uh, from starting pitching to bullpen relief to defense and, and to offense. Uh, you know, a, as a whole, we, we have not been able to find a way to be consistent on the field day in and day out, putting all the pieces together. And um, you, know, you, you look around the league, you look at the teams that have winning records, um, that are on rolls, that are ripping off six eight game winning streaks on a consistent basis those teams are are putting all those things together on a day-to-day basis and that's what that's what winning clubs do and that's what we need to so we need to get to and that's what we're working towards and you know hopefully hopefully we're turning the corner soon um you know this uh, it'll, it'll start with next year but uh hopefully we're, we're getting there where we can be winning on a consistent basis and doing all the small things and all the right things on a day-to-day basis Obviously, you're not a general manager. You know, Billy Schmidt's general manager. You're not an owner. You're not a, you're, you're not buddy. But you signed up here to be here for a long time. You're a native. You clearly care a great deal. If your opinion is solicited, do you have any um, issues with, with offering up ideas, that sort of thing? No, I mean, uh, I'm sure there this off season, uh, you know, myself and, and Bill and you know whoever else, but, uh, Danny, maybe Dick, will you know we'll we'll have our conversations of of what we think. Um, you know, I, I hope to be included in, in some of those conversations. Obviously, some of those conversations need to be had behind closed doors. Um, but I, I believe it. I believe in Dick's plan. I believe in Bill's plan. I believe in our front office, and you know that's why I signed up. Um, you know, we have special talent here. We have guys who want to win here. It's, it's about putting it all together and making it happen and everyone pulling in the same direction. Um, but, no, I, I stand behind Bill. Um, known him for a very long time. Uh, before I was drafted, I knew him. Um, he, he was scouting me when I was at Evansville. Our relationship has grown tremendously over the, over the years. So he's, he's a guy that I will back 100% um, all the way. From what I've seen and the conversations that I've had with Bill about a handful of our you know, young guys that are getting close to being MLB ready, uh, it's exciting. Uh, you, you, know, you watch some of them and, and you see some of the stuff that they're flashing. And you're like, all right, that, that's going to play at the big league level. Um, now, now what you need to do is find that consi- consistency of what, of what you're doing right there correctly and bottle it up and learn to do it over the course of 162 games. Um, so we're, we're excited. Um, you know, Bill's, Bill's pointed out certain certain pieces in our minor league system that um, we'll, be, we'll be moving and moving towards in the future. And uh, I'm excited to see them at this level um, and having them help us win. Rockies pitcher Kyle Freeland. Up next, you're going to hear a guy who's also pretty optimistic about the Rockies farm system. Former Rockies manager and now special assistant. What does the special assistant do? Find out now. Clint Hurdle.
Clint Hurdle right now is working and khakis and a beautiful Hawaiian shirt and you look happy as can be. I'm in a pretty good space right now, as they say. Uh, I'm fortunate. I'm blessed. Watching some baseball. Yeah, the Hawaiian shirt, watching baseball. My new uniform I like a lot. Yeah. And, and that actually, you know, part of the plan. That, you know, your, your goal is not to be in a uniform anymore on a day-to-day basis, I assume. It, it's really not, Drew. And, and really, my goal is to have retired the uniform. And I do get in it once in a while. I got in it for an all high school All-Star game in Denver, you know, a perfect game event. I do those as well, but it's a different phase. It's a different time. Um, and plus, as I move through around the Rockies organization, I just think it's a much more easier connection when they see me walk up in khakis and a wine shirt than coming in in a uniform and thinking, well, what's he, what's he here for? What's he got a uniform on? What, what's going on it? Nothing's going on. I'm trying to share spirit, strength, and hope, coach some people up, and just do it from from this angle in a much more relaxed state. That's an interesting thing, and it's a good place to, to jump in because I think people were excited who followed your career even after you left the Rockies that you were back in the fold. And then it's like, wait, what does Hurdle do exactly, and, and where is he? We haven't seen him. So so take us through, if you will, a, a, a typical month. I, for you well a typical month will be it'll be one one trip for sure to an affiliate and the beautiful thing about minor league baseball right now is when teams home they're home for six days and it's not like little league where everybody's got to play but if you're there for six days you see everybody play all the position players play all the five starters start even if you got a six-man rotation you see them all and you're going to see all the bullpen deployed at some time because there's 12 13 and it all works out very well from that angle. Now, there could be some high school games in the area that I go see. I've done a little scouting with the SEC players in proximity. Um, I get time on the phone with certain coaches or certain staff. I'm actually doing like a small mentorship program with some of our minor league managers bi-monthly. With some of the hitting coaches bi-monthly. Just a three up, three down. What Three things that happened to club good this, this last couple weeks. Three things that have been hard. And we just experience, share some experiences and some thoughts. I think one of the beautiful things for me coming into this organization is I have an unbiased lens. Don't I didn't know any players, really, when I came in, in in spring training. Don't know many of the coaches. There are some people at the major league staff I know quite well. That first base coach is the best man at my wedding, Carl, Carl and I's wedding, Ron Gideon. I coached Stu Cole. I was his hitting coach. Buddy and I played against each other forever. Redmond and I managed against each other. Mag and I go all the way back to the Mets in the 80s. So there's a lot. Scotty pitched for me. I mean, there's a lot of continuity here. But in the Marlins, it was basically, you're going to meet a lot of people, and you're going to learn a lot of names. And that has been very refreshing and fun because the youthful enthusiasm, whether it's a coach, a manager, or a player, I can plug into that. I can, I can get enthusiastic, too. And what I love... What I love, what I'm seeing now is our alignment, the consistency of what we're doing, the teaching skills that some of these young coaches have, uh, the managers, you know, what their responsibilities are and the way they lean into their staffs. It's been fantastic. Quick journey, but at the most, it's probably 10 days on paper a month that I'm working, which gives me time at home. But there's a phone call here, there's a phone call there. I'm going to take them, plug in, but it's been really good so far, I think, for both sides. 
you know this, Clint, having been around professional sports as long as you have, that that at the end of the day, talent trumps a lot of things, cures a lot of things. Where, from your observations, are the Rockies' talent in the minor leagues? Well, right now, I think it's, it's well known that we've got a little bit of a space um, from our major league club that's here today and the players that we have in AAA. There's going to be a handful of players still, a handful, I count that, like five, and a handful of pitchers that are going to have opportunities as this season moves forward, whether it's injury, whether it's performance-based, lack of up here or because of good performance down there that push it. But our strength... It starts in Double A. We've got some. We've got some strong candidates, starting, relieving, and position players. The same thing in Spokane, and the same thing in Fresno. I was telling somebody the other day when we turn this faucet on, the water's going to run for a while. We're not quite there yet. We've got some ground to cover in between. It's responsible for these guys, these major league players, right now to cover that bridge to take care of that time until the younger players are going to grow, get better, become consistent players. And again, once we get them up here, we want to give them that opportunity that they've been provided with a skill set or with some instruction coaching that's going to make it easier for the major league coaching staff to put them out there and watch them play. Clint, you were in charge in in the greatest run of the organization, obviously 07, and a lot of those guys grew up together in the minor leagues, and, and I think good Rockies fans know the names. Can you make any sort of analogy yet without, you know, you can't predict a, a World Series three years from now, that sort of thing, but looking at some of the talent that you've gotten to know now in Spokane, Fresno, Hartford, um, do you see things that remind you of 15, 18 years ago? Absolutely. And I think it's one of the, the one of the strong additions I think we've got is having Chris Forbes come in and run our minor league program. And then he's employed in, with Bill's, Bill's signing off too. Mark Stripmatter, one of my former players, and one of my coaches. I, I had him in, in Denver, Pittsburgh also. Took him to Pittsburgh. Yeah. You know, he, he's like the field coordinator. Winning's a thing. And we wanted to make sure that that was presented to our players. It's not going to be the end all, but winning's a thing. I mean, why play the game if you're not going to try and win the game? Now, winning can be a deodorant, you know, if you let it. You win a game, well, we're okay because we won a game. But you got to hit cutoff, man. you got to play 27 outs on defense. There's got to be some urgency in the batter box to perform fundamentals situation. I hit at times. Those are the cornerstones of what we're teaching and putting these groups together, as Chris has done with it, with the help of Jesse Stender. I mean, we've got players and teams playing ball, playing meaningful ball into the first half. Three teams are in the hunt going into the end of the first half for playoff opportunities, and the kids are understanding that it made a difference for our guys. They had won before in the minor leagues. 21 of 25 guys in that World Series roster had come homegrown. We were fortunate to somewhat replicate that in Pittsburgh when I went over there, and I shared with them the importance of those guys winning winning together, playing good baseball together all the way up. Because when they get to the big leagues and things doesn't things don't work right, they've been there before, and they know how to herd up or to huddle up and fight through it. Yeah. Ezekiel Tovar has gotten a lot of... Uh, ink and, and conversation whether it's us or, or certainly going back to spring training when uh you know he, he really he handled himself exceptionally well he won the abby greer award which i know is, is very special for you uh, this is a kid you've watched in hartford and every time i look at the stat the ops is you know 950 he's hitting homers he's stealing bags I, the glove i hear is outstanding Can, we've had some good shortstops here 
I mean, can he be in that conversation one day? And I know it's probably unfair. The kid's 20 years old. But what's your projection on him? Well, well t- if you'll take this from a guy that was 20 years old and with a lot of expectations. Absolutely. Were put you know, on, you, nobody knows more than you do. It's not fair. However, it's going to happen. And I think we are helping him prepare for that. And I know organizationally we're helping all our younger players prepare for media, social media that space chasing likes or chasing affirmation from people you don't know and i mean people within the game that are writing the reports and writing the publications and doing the podcast that's that's all nice however the game's played on the field focus on the field stay on the field ezekiel in my mind he has it he has it like tulowitzki had it the presence in the box is real the presence in the infield, he makes the shortstop better than the third base, uh, the second baseman, third baseman, just by going to shortstop as a position. Makes the pitcher better. He makes everybody with a glove on better. The understanding of the game, he's got baseball IQ on top of that. One of the most impressive walkaways I've had in this minor league journey so far, two months in, I went into Hartford and I watched him play the first game. Three for four, homer to right, base hit to right, pulls a ball hard to left. Makes the plays at shortstop, gets your attention. He went 0 for 19 the next five games after that. You would not have known anything different changed from the first night to the last day by his presence defending the ball, by his demeanor in the clubhouse, or his actions in the dugout. That speaks louder than, than a lot of things. His actions when he wasn't playing well, the, the composure he had, and since then, he got hot again, he stayed hot pretty much since then. That's Rockies special assistant, Clint Hurdle. Now we listen back to Drew's conversation with a Colorado legend. Came up through the University of Colorado nine years in the NFL, 32 years with KOA Radio, and most of that is play-by-play voice of the Denver Broncos. And probably most important to him, 11 state championships as a high school football coach, including the last four in a row. Here's Drew with Dave Logan. What's the greatest joy that you get out of... uh coaching now at the high school level for all these years? I, I think I think a couple of things pop to mind. I, I really enjoy the relationships you have with players and your ability to continue that relationship even when you don't get a chance to coach them anymore, when they either go on to college and play or they just go to college and, and don't play. But um, I've been fortunate over – I've coached 29 years now to – be able to have those relationships with a lot of my former players. And I still hear from uh, a lot of guys, uh, guys that I coached at Arvada West starting back in 1993. Well, those, those guys are in their mid-40s, and most of them are married and have kids. And it's just really gratifying um, for me that they still stay in touch and we, we you know, we'll check check on uh, each other and uh, that sort of thing. And then then I do think it's gratifying from a pure coaching standpoint to see players get better um, at football. The players are, you know, gifted in different ways. Um, and some players are going to go on to play college. Some players aren't. Uh, but can you, can you help – can you help the guy that maybe is your fourth or fifth wide receiver and doesn't play very much? Can you help him improve 
uh, strictly from a football standpoint, of of things he does. Did he become a better ball catcher during the season? Was he better at getting off uh, some sort of press coverage? Uh, did he understand reading defenses? Was he a little bit better later in the season than he was, you know, at the first part of the season? That and and also just seeing young kids grow up and understand. Uh, some of the life lessons that you're, you're you're doing your best to try to impart to them during the course of uh, you coaching them. A greater fun for you doing play by play, which I can't even keep track how many years it's been since you know you, you slid over when Zim retired um, from the play by play side, uh, or or the talk show where you can espouse your thoughts, opinions on a variety of topics. Or maybe the podcast now, which you're which you're doing, which you know gives a you know gives a, another place for a voice. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you know they're they're all different. They all um, they all require a different set of skills. I, I enjoy I enjoy all of them. I mean, I think as a former player, you know, I've talked about this. I mean, normally speaking, former players don't get an opportunity uh, to to become play by play guys. They are pretty much pigeonholed into being a color analyst. And so uh, that was 1996 when I made that move. So I guess it's been 25 years I've been the play-by-play voice of the Broncos. But when they came to me and, and uh, said, this is what we're going to do, uh, initially I thought they were kidding. And then I realized that they were serious. And so, you know, I just remember thinking, man, I've got to do everything I can to get prepared for this because I, I, I this is a big opportunity that former players don't often get, and I, I don't want to screw this thing up, right? I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to. Um, it's kind of like Jerry Faust as a as a high school coach get an opportunity at Notre Dame, right? And you know, God love him, but he screwed that thing up. <laughs> he, ruined, he ruined it for everyone, didn't he? He really. I mean, by and large, yes, because you could always go back and say, well, we don't have a big track record, but look at Jerry Faust at Notre Dame, and that was a tough argument to overcome. So I, I, I just remember thinking, okay, I, uh, and I, I grew up in Denver, so I had the I had the benefit of listening as a kid to Bob Martin uh, do play by play for a long time, and um, you know, you have to, as you know, you have to sort of you have to develop your own sort of style and your sense of timing and what you're looking at. I think my my play-by-play, um, by and large, sort of lapses in between a true play-by-play and, and then color. I sometimes will will lapse into doing color as well because that's just how that's how I see the game right that's when I watch the uh, when I watch the game normally I don't watch the ball I watch off the ball but as you know doing play by play you have to watch the ball so I, I sometimes sort of lapse into that other form as well I'm going to take you back Dave um, you there's no reason you would remember the first time we met but I do because I want to say, and you, you doing the Broncos for all these years and having played for them at the end of your career, you'll, you'll probably be able to tell me what year it was. I want to say it was around 88. I'm standing on the sideline. The Broncos are playing your Browns in the postseason. It was the Ernest Biner. Tony Lilly picks up the fumble near the goal line, and the Browns went from going to be victorious to uh, another tough defeat against Denver. And I was standing next uh, with somebody, and they introduced me to you on the sideline. Uh, and we were standing there. I don't know if you remember watching it from the sideline, but what was that, 88, 89? What year was that? 
I no, I absolutely remember watching the game. It was at the old Mile High. Yeah. Uh, and I was on the sideline. I'm not even sure. Now that you brought it up, I'm not even sure what I was doing on the sideline. You and I were doing nothing. We weren't. Do- I mean, I don't know who you were working for at that point in time. You weren't. I, I don't think doing a ton of radio just yet. Um, but I remember we're standing on the sideline, and that play, Dave, happened where we were standing, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I actually was doing radio because I started with Irvin Joe, uh, like in '86. Okay. And worked with them, uh, worked with Jim Turner for one year in, in between those years and then went to KOA in 1990. But I remember standing on the sideline and the funny thing about that, um, cause I was not doing the Bronco games at that time, right? So I, I mean, secretly and very quietly, I'm pulling for the Browns. Sure. And the majority of those guys had been teammates of mine, uh, for a long, long time. So, but I remember standing behind, uh, Mr. Bolin. And thinking, yeah, I, I certainly don't want to be clapping or cheering because that that would just be a bad look. The game is in Denver, and I live in Denver, and I work in Denver. So that uh, that was one of the many, many disappointments that the Browns had when they played the Broncos. When you went to to Cleveland, in all those years in Cleveland, and you had so many good years, and it's before they, you know, teams threw the football with the frequency they they do now. Are you asked more about that, you know, the, the play where you're open and, and unfortunately Brian Sype went a different direction and Mike Davis picks it off? Is that, is that like the number one play asked of you, especially when you run into somebody who has an affiliation to Cleveland? Well, that, you're talking about Red Right 88. It's, uh, yeah. it's a play that will forever live in infamy, I'm sure, for Browns fans. But, uh, so we, yeah, we talked about that. That was, that was a playoff game against the Raiders. I believe it was the second coldest playoff game in NFL history. I think the actual game temperature was uh, minus two, but the windshield was uh, at 40, 40 40-something below. And it was just, it was, I mean, the conditions were so uh, unreal that, you know, you couldn't even, I came out of the the old municipal stadium uh, walking up the steps of the dugout because it was a baseball football facility. It had normal cleats on. It just fell uh, completely on my butt. Uh, couldn't stand up. The field was completely frozen. Went in, put on turf shoes. Couldn't stand up in the turf shoes. And I wound up that day wearing a pair of broomball shoes, which the trainer, the uh, equipment guy had uh, sport in Canada. They had little suction cups in the bottom. But it was, I mean, it was just brutal. And it was a, you know, the ending was even. Uh, worse than the than the condition in terms of the temperature because we you know we had had such a great year we were eleven and five won the AFC Central started the season zero and two um, but we had of those eleven wins uh, no I think of the of the sixteen games I think we had eleven or twelve that ended in the last two minutes either way so we were down fourteen to twelve Raiders went for fourth and one uh, on our thirty didn't get it. With like three minutes to go, we drove the length of the field, and then on a second down from the 13, the kicking game was really dicey. We'd missed two field goals and an extra point uh, already in that game, but um, we went for it, just trying to score a touchdown, and, and obviously it didn't work out. And the, the ironic thing about it, Mike Davis, uh, who we lost recently, uh, unfortunately he's gone, but. Uh, Mike was a college teammate of mine and wound up intercepting the ball. And Mike, a 
God rest his soul, I mean, if you stood in front of him and underhanded it to him from five yards, it was a 50-50 deal whether he would catch it or not. But he made a hell of a catch in really adverse conditions, and the Raiders went on and, uh, and smashed the Eagles that year in the, uh, in the Super Bowl. Were you were you primary on that? Uh, on on yep. you, that's what I thought. Yep, yep. We uh, uh, I was I've always played the X receiver, and in that alignment, um, we were very concerned about Lester Hayes. Lester Hayes that year, I think, had thirteen interceptions, and so he was a premier corner and a corner that played linebacker at Texas A and M. So he was a big, physical, fast fast guy. So we felt the matchup on the other side. We ran just a little rub route and uh then we, we knew they'd be in man coverage. Um and Brian just thought he could squeeze it into uh to Ozzy and as it turned out Ozzy was doubled. Um you know and, and those are things that uh you carry with you forever, right? I mean there's no way to erase the memory. You yeah. just have to you just have to say, you know, uh that play it just it just wasn't our time. Yeah. It, has it been more exasperating over the years for you on a personal level to see the struggles, at least the last, more or less, the last 20 years for your alma mater or, you know, for what the Browns have been through? Wow. Um, well, I mean, I, both both of those, you know, the, the buffs mean a lot to me and as do the Browns. Uh, I, you know, I hope that before we go ten toes up, the Browns can find a way to uh, to get to the Super Bowl. Something they've never been able to do. I would say because I live here in Denver and just am close to the university, it's been difficult for me to watch really what has happened to that uh, to that football program. Is it realistic um, to think that Colorado can get back to where we saw them in the late '80s, early '90s? Yeah, you're asking the wrong guy on that because I'm always yeah. going to say yes. I, I don't think there's any reason, no acceptable reason, why that can't happen. Now, now, you, you know, can they play for the national championship in back-to-back years? I don't know about that. But they should be a hell of a lot better than what they've been uh, the last, whatever, 15 years, 15 years plus. Sure. I mean, it's just... Um, you have a you have a certain uh, group of people up there that have been uh, empowered to make decisions. That I don't have the slightest clue what the hell they're doing, and I can say this. And uh, you know what? If if people up there hear it, they probably won't like it. But I honestly, I don't care. I'm telling the truth, and um, it is. It is just shy of disgraceful what they've done to that football program. And I've said many times before, and I think this is probably there are people in Boulder that that don't care for me because of this. But there 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 are there's a group or groups of people at the University of Colorado that would just as soon do away with the football program if they had their way. And what we've done is we've empowered those people. We've uh, we've given them a voice in terms of what should or should not be done with the football program, and and also there have been you know there have been some bad hires, there have been some bad fits up there, and yet there are people that are still in power that decide what direction the program goes. So it's, until they address the, the the root of the problem, 
you're going to get exactly what, what you've got. You know, you get an occasional really good year, but can you sustain that? I, I like Carl. I mean, I've known Carl Durrell uh, since, well, for over 20 years. Uh, and I, I think Carl's a good man. But uh, there are still people, evidently, that, that call the shots with respect to what players they recruit and who they go after in state. I don't have any idea what the hell they're doing. Uh, with that, I, I really don't. I, I had a player two years ago. I'll just just put this out there. Who is the best player in the state by far? All right, the University of Colorado didn't recruit him. Now I don't have a clue as to why, except what I was told was he didn't fit the prototype of what kind of player they were looking. Well, what, then you need to change your prototype, right? He 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 got a full ride to Iowa State. Any college football fan right now, if you ask them uh, who right now who's got a better program, Iowa State or CU, people are going to say Iowa State. So he's good enough to go to Iowa State, but he's not good enough, and he wanted to stay in state and go to his school. Now, you know, um, as as a coach, you have to have the ability to make the decision on what kind of players you want or don't want. What I've been told is, though, there are a couple of people up there that really influence those decisions. They decide really what kind of players the, the university goes after. And you'd have to do one of two things. You'd have to change those guys' minds, or you have to get rid of them because you're missing out on good players in this state. I'm not naive enough to think you can win solely with players from Colorado, but there's no damn reason that – a lot of these good players should be leaving state to go play elsewhere. It's I, I've not liked it, and I haven't liked it for a long time. And I've spoken about it, Drew, and they get tired of hearing me up there. And frankly, I get tired of hearing me too, but I really don't care if I piss them off or not. There's Dave Logan with Drew Goodman, recorded much earlier in 2022, of course, well before. Some of the crazy developments up in Boulder, what with Deion Sanders, now the head coach for the CU Buffs. But interesting to reflect back on Dave's thoughts that were shared by so many. Hopefully, things changing now in Boulder. We will see. By the way, Dave has since expressed his excitement that Coach Prime is now in Boulder. Coming up next week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, more best ups from 2022. We're going to hear from Chuck Nasty, Charlie Blackman, also Ryan Spielborgs and Jeff Houston, and another pretty big legend in Colorado, Alfred Williams, Big Al, former Bronco, and now host at KOA Radio and a Super Bowl champ. We'll hear from Big Al next week on the Drew Goodman Podcast. And of course, your host, Drew Goodman. I like nothing more than a great conversation. And hopefully that's why you keep coming back to uh, to our little endeavor here on the podcast. We appreciate you as we're in the midst of uh, year four. Having Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a Happy New Year, more new material to come right around the corner. Talk to you soon.